Amen. Thank you for that. How y'all doing? I'm, I'm picking up my y'alls down here. Amen. Love Texas. I'm telling you what. Love everything about Texas. I'd move here in a heartbeat if I could. I love Texas. And so it's such a joy for us to be able to come back and uh, visit. We were here a year ago. And uh, so it's so good to be back with you. It's like being at home, just as Pastor Blake said. And uh, such a presence of God in this place and in the worship and in the hearts of you guys worshiping. And I'm telling you what, God is in this house. God is in this place. It's a beautiful church. Y'all don't realize. What a beautiful church. Look at the diversity. Thank you. Amen. <clears throat> Bear with me this morning. I've, I've got a frog in my throat. You heard about the guy that got up to sing, and he began by introducing himself, and then he said, uh, y'all bear with me. I got a frog in my throat, and someone yelled out, let the frog sing. So I may have to let the frog preach this morning. As <laughs> long as I don't get too excited, it's not so bad, but uh, so good to be with you this morning. I also want to uh, uh, just appreciate Pastor Blake and Carla and their friendship as well. Going back 15 years, as he said, we met on the basketball court, and we played basketball yesterday. I was balling them up 15 years ago, and I was still balling them up yesterday. <laughs> I let them get a few games in, but, but we do have a really good friendship, and I just appreciate him. And I can say this, that you know, sometimes we take for granted, sometimes I even take for granted what I have in our church. Some of you guys have visited us at conference time, and uh, we do have a wonderful church, wonderful pastors, and sometimes I take for granted that. Until you go in and you visit another church, you don't realize what you have. It's almost like when you were kids, and you go stay the night at somebody's house, and you realize, man, I really do have a good dad and a good mom, <laughs> And you guys have a great pastor, and I've known him for 15 years, and this much I can tell you, he's a man of integrity, he's a man of faith. I've watched him when he had his children's ministry down there, and how he operated in faith, and that thing began to grow, and then I watched him as he started the church there in Costa Rica, and, and many acts of faith caused that thing to grow. Then coming here to Denton and those that have been with Pastor Blake and, and Carla since the beginning have seen this is nothing, nothing less than a work of faith and the grace of God on this church. You have a great pastor. Understand that. He preached one of the best messages I've ever heard, and I think he may have preached that since he came back, but at conference time, he preached on the end times and the rapture in one of the best messages I've ever heard on that topic. And then I listened to, as I was driving down here, I listened to the podcast of him preaching on Wednesday night, God's building inspection, and what a phenomenal job and insight of doctrine that he has if this isn't your church and you're visiting you ought to plant yourself in this church amen because not only do you have a good pastor but you got good brothers and sisters in this place you're blessed amen give yourselves a hand clap this morning hallelujah <clears throat> turn with me to this morning uh, to psalms 50 in your bibles if you will psalm 50 and as you're turning there i want to just share a story of a lady i don't know about you but uh we're animal lovers. We have any animal lovers in this place? Amen. Some, not so much. My wife isn't so much, but 
uh, we have the majority vote with the girls. And so I'm surrounded by women. I've got, I've got three women in my life, my wife, my two daughters. Then I got two dogs, and those are female. And so finally we got a chinchilla for, for Sarah, and I said we need to get a male. I don't want to be the only male in the house, so we got a male chinchilla. But we love animals. We love animals. And this woman, she had a pet duck. Believe it or not, she had a pet duck. Some people have pet pigs. How many's ever heard of that? So she had this pet duck. She loved this duck. She was affectionate with this duck. Everywhere she went in the house, the duck would follow behind her, go into the kitchen, slept in her room at night. She loved her duck. And then one day she walks into the kitchen and she sees her duck laying on the ground unconscious. She begins to panic. She reaches down, picks up the duck, puts the duck in her car, rushes to the vet, and says, there's something wrong with my duck. I need you to take a look at the duck. And so the, the vet says, let's bring the duck, lays the duck on the table, begins to examine and look at the duck. He says, ma'am, I'm sorry to tell you this. I know you love your duck. You care for your duck, but your duck isn't unconscious. Your duck is dead. Tears welled up in her eyes. She said, surely there's something you got to do, something you can do. And he says, well, I don't know a whole lot I can do, but give me just a minute. He walks to the back. And he comes back with a Labrador Retriever. And the Labrador Retriever jumps up onto the table and begins to smell the duck, begins to nudge it with his nose, walks around it, jumps back down, goes back to the back. She says, you got to be kidding me. You're bringing a dog in here to examine my duck? And he says, ma'am, dogs have one of the most sensitive noses ever. And she says, and he says, I'm sorry to tell you this. I regret to tell you this, but your duck is dead. She says, please don't tell me my duck is dead. Please, there's got to be something else she can do. And he says, well, hold on a second. Walks back to the back, and he comes back, and a cat jumps up onto the table, and the cat begins to paw at the duck. Same thing, circles around it two or three times, jumps back down. She goes, now I am very offended. You're telling me a cat? And he says, ma'am, look, you brought your duck here. Let me do my job, do what I do best. And he says, I'm sorry to tell you this, but your duck is dead. And so she said, okay. Well, how much is it going to be? He said, it's going to be $160. She said, $160. Now, wait a minute. When I came in here, you told me it would only be $60. He said, yes, ma'am, but that was before the lab test and the CAT scan. <laughs> See, some of you weren't paying attention. That's why you're not laughing. <clears throat> Amen. I'm not going to talk about dogs, cats, or ducks this morning, but I want to talk about another animal and I've titled this message simply God don't want your bull now before you get offended and get religious on me this morning amen hear me out God don't want your bull let's take a look at Psalms chapter 50 and I just want to read through to verse uh, 13 so bear with me the mighty one God the Lord speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting out of Zion the perfection of beauty God shines forth our God comes, he does not keep silent. Before him is a devouring fire, around him a mighty tempest. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me my faithful ones who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Pay attention to that. A covenant with me by sacrifice. Verse 6, the heavens declare his righteousness for God himself is judge. How many know 
our God is a judge. He's a loving God. He's a God of grace. Thank God for that. But that attribute that God has, he is still today in 2014 a judge. And he says, hear all my people, and I will speak, O Israel. I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. Verse 9, I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your fields, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Or offer, verse 14, offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High. Verse 9, he says, I will take no bull or he go out of your house. Now, many times we've heard this passage of scripture where it says, I own the cattle on a thousand hills. Very popular scripture. Many times we use that in offerings when we're saying, you know what? God's got enough. He's got more than enough. He's a God of abundance and he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. But I began to study this and I began to realize that God's thinking was totally different from our thinking on this particular scripture. So he says, I own the cattle of a thousand hills. And here what he's saying is basically God don't want your bull. Now, let me just give you the backdrop of what is taking place here. Here's, the, here's God's people, and they're continually bringing a sacrifice. We know what the sacrifice signifies in the Bible. In the Old Testament, the sacrifice was a way to bring man into reconciliation with God. So when somebody were to sin, then they would take an animal. Many times it was a dove. Many times it was a lamb, an unblemished lamb, and they would bring that before the priest, and that blood would be offered up on the altar, amen, to reconcile that person back into relationship with God. That's what Jesus did in the new covenant. This is the atonement. And so the purpose of the sacrifice was the atonement or to make amends. Listen to what it says in the expositor's note in verse 13. Israel lost the true purpose of what the sacrifice really meant and conducted themselves as heathen, offering up their sacrifices to appease Jehovah. Think about that for a minute. Offering up their sacrifices to appease Jehovah. How many are in church this morning to pay up their fire insurance? How many go to church on Sunday out of ritual? How many men go because their wives beg them to go? How many show up at church on a Sunday morning out of religious duty to appease God? Or how many will offer up a prayer every once in a while thinking, I'm going to appease God. Here, what is happening is they're following, falling into heathenistic ritual and religion. How many are still with me this morning? So atonement is being brought back into right relationship with the holy God by means of a blood sacrifice of an innocent animal. Leviticus 16.27 says, The bull of the sin offering... And the goat of the sin offering whose blood was brought to make atonement in the holy place. And so the only way that we can have access this morning with the holy God is by the blood. 
only by the blood. In the Old Testament, it was by the blood. As we enter into the New Testament, it's by the blood that was shed at Calvary's cross that we're able to have access to the throne of God and have redemption and reconciliation with a holy God. Any other means besides that is impossible. There's no other way. There's no other method. And I can tell you that in 2014, it's still only by the blood. The times may change. Technology may change. All kinds of things may happen in the world. But the only way to have access and right relationship with Jesus Christ is by the blood. If you ever want to do a really good study on the blood, read Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews 9 and verse 22, it says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So it's not a number of solutions. It's just one solution. You want to be free from drugs. It's not a 12-step program. It's a one-step program. Although we do offer and break away a 12-step program, amen. We do that to appease the government and those that are in the criminal justice system, amen. But it's one solution only, it's the only solution, and it's only by the blood of Jesus Christ. There's power in the blood. If you have an alcohol addiction, if you have a lust addiction, if you're struggling in any area of your life, if you're battling mentally, if you're battling emotionally, and you're consumed with fear and anxiety, depression, thoughts of suicide, whatever's going through your mind, loneliness, all these things that can oppress a person, I can tell you this morning, the only solution and the only thing that can defeat that spirit is the blood of Jesus that was shed at Calvary's cross. Second Corinthians, amen, what was that scripture? Second Corinthians, somewhere in Corinthians, amen, it says that he defeated and made a show of every spirit openly at the cross. Somebody can remind me later what that is. So there's two things that are happening here in this passage of scripture. Number one, the sacrifice was compromised. They were casually bringing a sacrifice whatever it was so when it came time to offer up a sacrifice rather than offer their best they'd go find a lame sheep they'd go find a blind bull and they would just bring it do their duty do their ritual and go away so the sacrifice was compromised second the method and the means of offering the sacrifice was compromised was compromised in other words their faith in what that sacrifice did for them was compromised. In other words, it was misplaced faith. And anytime the sacrifice is compromised or the method or the means of offering up the sacrifice is compromised, what that does is it brings false doctrine and leads to spiritual death. And that's what happens with so many different religions, isms, and, 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 and all these things that people try and do to attain uh, a righteousness in their life becomes false doctrine. This is what's happening in a lot of the church world today. The sacrifice has been compromised and the means have been compromised. So what God is saying to the church today, bear with me, it's a bunch of bull. What the church is offering up to me is a bunch of bull. Our attempt to appease God by any other means than the true 
sacrifice, that being Jesus Christ and him crucified, is nothing more than a bunch of bull. Now realize this morning that Satan is a master strategist. He's an illusionist. And the art of the illusion is to take something that appears to be real, but it's fake. David Copperfield is known as an illusionist, and he was able to take the, uh, uh, the Statue of Liberty, and he did this thing, I remember years ago, he did it on TV, and there they are, and he takes the statue, there's about 100 people sitting in chairs, and they can see the Statue of Liberty, and he takes the Statue of Liberty, has them close their eyes, and when they open their eyes, it's moved, and it's actually over here now. That's the art of illusion, and Satan is a master strategist. And this is what he's done with every religion in the world. Anything to divert the mind away from Christianity and the cross. Listen to Proverbs 14, 12 this morning. There's a way that seems right unto a man, but in the end, it's the way of death. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. So we could talk about all these religions that many of them, including Catholicism, have all the dressings and they appear to be right but they're not right and we could say this morning well you know what i'm not i'm not muslim i'm not mormon i'm i don't have anything to do with hinduism but here's the deception the deception isn't just in another religion the deception has creeped in to the modern church christian church today and i want to i want to show you that this morning amen as i said thank god sometimes i i feel like I could say to the preacher, you're, uh, you're preaching to the choir. Amen. You're preaching to the choir. But I'm preaching to myself because there is a very real danger this morning. And he's at work in the church to create an illusion, illusion and substitute the genuine. So number one, he's a master illusion. Number two, he uses the bait and switch. How many know what the bait and switch is? Anybody that's ever worked in retail understands the bait and switch the bait is to do, give this big promotion we're going to give away you know a uh, hundred tvs this is what happens the day after thanksgiving on black friday all they want to do is get you into the store and so they're going to give a hundred tvs discounted down to like you know a hundred dollars big screen flat screen tv how many know by the time you get there it's not going to be in there and so you get in there, but right next to where the TVs is, there's another smaller promotion. And the switch is, they, rather than giving you what you were promised, now you've been defrauded by buying something other than what was promoted. Amen. And I see this happening in churches all across America. Preachers, pastors that defraud American people. They're defrauding. They're swindling God's people, and they use the bait and switch. Remember this this morning. The only way, the only solution is by the blood of Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, the only way to make atonement was not through any other means but or except by the sacrifice and the blood on the altar. No other means, okay? So remember that Jesus Christ and him crucified and the only way to have victory this morning is through the blood amen and if our faith is in any other thing what it leads to is failure and spiritual death so how does the church 
Some of the modern churches use the bait and switch. How many know our world's worse than it's ever been? Worse than it's ever been. When you watch the media, when you watch the news, and you're dealing with issues, we just legalized marijuana in Colorado. I'm telling you what, dope heads everywhere. You go down to Manitou Springs, some of you have visited dope heads everywhere. Everybody's smoking dope. And, and, and as a person that has smoked dope before, I know it's not a good thing. Amen. It's a gateway. And so here we see all of these things slowly but surely the door is being opened up. Homosexuality is one of the big issues. Gay marriage. The door has been opened up. Now we're going to see a flood of things happening, laws that are going to be have to, uh, have to be changed. And so we're living in a time when more than ever we need the gospel, the gospel, the pure, unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ because that's the only answer for sin. <clears throat> that's the only solution. So what happens is preachers and pastors, what they do is they don't offer the genuine, but they, what they do is they use the bait and switch and they give people the imitation, which really is no solution at all. Amen. They use gimmicks. You know what I call it? I call it Happy Meal Christianity. Amen. Happy Meal Christianity. How many of you like to buy your kids Happy Meal? You can raise your hand. It's okay. I buy my kids Happy Meal. You know why? Because it makes them happy. And when you're running late, many moms know what I'm talking about and you don't have time to put lunch on the table and you've got 50 million things to do and you've got the little ones in the back and they're screaming and crying and there's a McDonald's, the big golden arches and you know that if you can just shove a cheeseburger in that kid's mouth, they'll stop crying and you'll have peace for a few minutes. So you go through the drive-thru, get them their happy meal, amen, it's quick, it's fast, it's convenient. It's comfort food. Amen. Not in the southern sense. Amen. And it'll make them stop crying. It's a quick fix solution. And that's what a lot of churches are offering today is Happy Meal Christianity. The other day, I bought a, a Happy Meal for my kids. And I'm driving down the road. Meg is in the back. She's got, you know, her cheeseburger, whatever, and her french fries. And she says, Dad... I'm mad at Michelle Obama. I was like, well. I mean, sometimes I voice my opinion, but I didn't realize she was picking up on it. And she said, I'm mad at Michelle. I'm mad at Michelle. I said, why? She said, because my fries are getting smaller and smaller. She's only six years old. <laughs> I don't know how she comes up with that kind of stuff. but So think about this for a minute. A lot of churches, what they do is they offer something that's fast, it gives quick pleasure. It's convenient. Get them in, shut them up, and get them back out the door. Amen. If you don't believe me, go into one of these churches where you never hear them talk about sin. Go into one of these churches where they don't sing about the blood. Go into the, one of these churches where if they mention the cross, it's vaguely mentioned. And so the prevailing ideology of church growth today and Rick... Uh, I believe it was Rick Warren that wrote the book on the purpose-driven church, and I've actually glanced through this, ministered off of this book a few times, and to point out what the church is like today, 
And basically, the idea is in order to reach the church, you're going to have to become like the church. And they use the analogy of Jesus hanging out with sinners. Well, I can tell you something. Jesus did hang out with sinners, but he did not become like the sinners. Amen? When Jesus turned the water into wine, he didn't turn the water into wine like that country song says, to have a good time. Amen. And that's a whole nother sermon for another time, but that was unfermented wine. Amen. It was grape juice. But we like, we like to twist scripture around, you know, that way we can go out and get a little, you know, liquored up. So the, the idea or the ideology of these churches for church growth is, you know what, we're going to use the bait and switch. In other words, we're going to appeal to the masses, make them happy. When they come into our church, the first thing that we're going to offer them is a big Starbucks. I mean, you get Starbucks, you can get you a latte, you can come into this place, and then we want you to come right over here, and we have a miniature Six Flags for your kids. Come on in. I mean, where else are you going to get entertainment like that? Come to our church. And then you go in, and I'm telling you what, not are you, you, I've been in these services. I was in a church last year in San Diego, and it was a church that has four services on a Sunday, and each service holds approximately about uh, five to 7,000 people. And it was crazy. They have a line of kiosks when you walk in for giving. People are lined up to give with their credit card. In other words, they're going to accommodate people. And then when we went into that worship service, we walked in. And if you've ever been to Disney World and you go into one of those shows and the moment you walk in, it's all dark. And all of a sudden the lights come up and the Lion King, yeah, I've been the Lion King and, and all these things start coming out. And I'm telling you what, it's a show. It is a show. And they got their people and they got their rock star up there with his guitar. His hair's everywhere. He's wearing torn up jeans and boots. And I mean, he's, the, he's a cool cat. And they begin to worship in their method of worship. And you look around and nobody's participating. You know why? Because it's a show. It's an entertaining show. So they use the bait and switch. And then once they get them in there, supposedly they're going to offer them the gospel. What, what they offer really isn't the gospel. It's a gimmick. Think about this for a minute tonight, this morning. To keep people happy and to keep them coming back. And the only thing I can hear God saying is, you know what? I'm sick of the bull. I'm sick of the bull. What you're offering up to me is far from what the sacrifice was intended to be. The blood, an atonement, reconciliation, right relationship with me. And so I want you to know something. That this morning the true gospel doesn't need any help. The gospel doesn't need any help. There's still power in the blood. There's still power in the cross. There's still power in the name of Jesus and the true sacrifice of atonement. We don't need games. We don't need gimmicks. We don't need Happy Meal Christianity. What we need is Jesus Christ and him crucified and the Holy Spirit, amen, working within the parameters, amen. Peter on the day of Pentecost, full of the Holy Spirit, we know the story, gets up and he begins to minister. 3,000 people got saved. You know what he preached? He preached the cross. He didn't preach a fancy message with, with uh, jokes about ducks. Amen. Even though I... <laughs> 
You know, he didn't get up there with, with this uh, elaborate illustration. You know what he preached? He preached Jesus Christ and him crucified, full of the Holy Ghost, and 3,000 people got saved because the gospel works today. Amen? Number three this morning, this application is for us today. As much as I can talk about them, it's for everyone of us in this place, including myself, because many times I find myself falling back into works. And we know what the Bible says about works. We're not saved by works or anything that we can do of ourselves, but we're saved by faith, saved by grace this morning. There's nothing that you can do to earn righteousness. And I find myself many times falling back into ritual, falling back into to works. And so God took issue with Israel because of the offerings and because of the system of works and ritual. He says, don't bring your offerings to me as the heathens do to appease their gods. Many Christians today continually operate in a system of works. And really at the heart of it, it's to appease God. They go to church out of obligation. Or they say, you know what, I'm going to pray one hour, 60 minutes. I'm going to pray without fail. And the moment that they don't meet that 60 minutes and or they only pray, all of a sudden, when, you, when you're doing an hour every day, God must be smiling on you. You're in right relationship with him. But the moment something happens and you're all day long going and you're going and going and you never got down to pray, all of a sudden, God must be angry with you because you didn't pray. Or... You read five chapters a day. You think, I'm going to draw closer to God. Or if I fast seven days, I'm going to get the victory over lust. Now, don't get me wrong this morning. All these things are good. We need to fast. We need to pray. We need to challenge each other and challenge the church to pray. Those are very important things. Going to church as much as we can. Being with our brothers and sisters in fellowship. Koinonia. With, uh, these are great things. But what can happen is, is we fall into a system of works and all we're doing is offering up bull. We get away from the grace. We get away from relationship. The sacrificial system many times becomes common. And I've watched people over the years. I've been raised in church. I've been pastoring now for uh, 14 years and I watch people, they come in, they come in with such a zeal, they're excited about the things of God. They want to get tracks, they want to carry tracks, they want to witness, they want to know what time is prayer, they want to be a men's discipleship, they want to do this, that, and the other. And slowly over a time and over a progression, their heart becomes calloused. Why is that? It's because they fall into a system of works. The only thing that's alive is through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what keeps us vibrant. The Holy Spirit operating and moving in our lives. And so when our hearts become callous, we no longer are pricked by the Holy Spirit and the cross becomes common. Or the moving of the Holy Spirit becomes common. Or the Holy Spirit be moving in an altar call at the end of a service and there's people down here weeping. They're touched by the power of God and we're just kind of leaning on the back of the chairs calloused the true sacrifice becomes nothing more than common bull offered up to god the apostle paul in first corinthians 2 2 says for i determined to know nothing among you except jesus christ and him crucified 
I determined to know nothing among among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. In our text, in verse 14, very last one that we read, it says, here's the solution. Offer unto God thanksgiving. Pay your vows unto the most high. You know what God wants this morning? God simply wants our hearts. He wants our hearts. He wants our desire to be for him. When he created Adam and Eve, the only reason he created Adam and Eve, not to make them robots, not to punish them, not to, not to do all these things in their life, but he created them with the purpose of having relationship with them. Amen. I don't serve an angry God. I serve a God of love. Yes, he's a God of judgment, and I'm always keeping that in mind. But I know he's a God that loves me. I know he's a God that cares about me. I know that he's a God that goes before me, makes the crooked path straight, that he's concerned with the affairs of my life. And all God wants is our heart this morning. You say, does that mean I don't have to pray? No. Prayer is relationship with God. I'll be married 20 years in September. Amen. We wouldn't have got here. When we were dating, I called her every single night. Sometimes I'd call, and we'd be 10 o'clock at night, and she had an exam the next day. She went to a college prep school, and very uh, the, the requirement, requirements were very stringent. And we would talk for two hours, and then she'd do her homework for two hours after that till 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. But we had a relationship, and we talked, we talked, we talked. And to this day, we still talk. And, and, and you know what? That's what makes our relationship. But you know what? There's people that will go seven days, two weeks, sometimes a month without ever praying to God. There's no relationship. So, yes, we need prayer. Can you say amen? We need all these things. But what God wants this morning is our heart to give thanksgiving, to put our faith exclusively in the finished work of Calvary. I'm going to finish with this, and then we're going to pray. In Luke chapter 18, there's the story of the rich young ruler, and he comes to Jesus, and he says, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus begins to lay out some of the criteria, keep my law, do this, do that, and he says, I do all those things. And then he says, you lack one thing, go and sell everything that you have, Give it to the poor and then come follow me. The only reason he said that is because that's where his heart was. Now, if his heart was set upon a career, let's say this morning, he would have said, you know what? Go and, and take your career, flush it down the toilet, come follow me. If it was a relationship with somebody that was hindering that person and that's where their affection and their desire was on that one person, he'd say, you know what, go break up with that girlfriend. Go break up with that boyfriend. Come follow me. If it, I mean, you could just go down the list. Whatever it was that was first place, it put Jesus in second place. And Jesus is in second place in many people's lives for the simple fact that something else is taking first place. Now, God, of course, wasn't, Telling, isn't telling us today, go sell everything you have. God's not telling us today, give up your career. God's not telling us to give up certain things. All he's saying is we need to prioritize where our desires and where our love is. He wants to be first. And I can promise you this. It says in Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God. Put him first in, all, in, in everything in your life, and all these things shall be added unto you. 
See, we're afraid that if, you know, if we commit 100% to God, then all these other things are going to fall apart. Bible says, put God first, and he'll take care of all those other things. And that's a step of faith. So where is your heart this morning? Where is your desire? And I found myself many times in my life putting God on the back burner. Even as a pastor, I find myself, and it's like the Holy Spirit comes in in a, in a still small voice and says, you know, you got to fix that. My prayer this morning is that the Holy Spirit would speak to us about where we're at in our relationship with God. Are we offering up bull? Are we offering up ritualistic uh, uh, religion this morning? Are we just kind of going through the motions? Are we stuck in a rutten life? God wants to renew that. God wants to prick our heart refresh that renew that love renew that love i'm telling you what for me there ain't nothing better than being a christian there ain't nothing better than knowing that i can wake up in the morning and that i'm not going to be alone yes i have my down moments yes i have my problems and yes sometimes god even lets me go through those things and i feel like he's a million miles away but I wouldn't trade it for nothing. I love him. He loves me. It's a relationship. It's not a religion this morning. It's not a religion. Many of you, you're clapping because you know what I'm talking about. It's real. He's real. God is real. It's not just going to church on Sunday and then do whatever you want throughout the week and then come back, pay your dues, and do it over and over again. It's real. Amen. We serve a good God this morning.